You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel according to John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. The Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. A little confusing. (laughs) And then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again. And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And these things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps. But I go that I may wake him up. And then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> He's got to be that clear to me. So I get a kick out of this. And he said, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And so when Jesus came, he found that he, that is Lazarus, had been in the tomb already for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And then Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. 
And then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. And then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the disciples said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus had taken away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, but I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said that this, this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave cloths, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we're able to build our lives and our eternities upon what is going to outlive all of the heavens and all of the earth. We thank you for our relationship with you. We thank you for your commitment to us, Lord. We're humbled by it. And we pray that you would take this passage of Scripture and the truths that are bound up in it, and that you would take it off of the printed page and, Lord, introduce it into a living part of our relationship with you. We pray for that work of your Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever had the Lord delay in addressing some great need in your life or in addressing some critical situation in your life and then have that delay produce great confusion in your heart as a result, sometimes even a great frustration. Have you ever been in a situation that you know would be so easy for God to fix in an instant with just a word, and yet he doesn't. And for the life of you, you can't figure out or any, make any sense of why he doesn't do that in your life. What he needs to do in the situation is so obvious to you. It's obvious to all of your friends. It's obvious to everyone who prays for you. What needs to be done in the situation seems to be obvious to everyone but the Lord. And yet for some reason, 
God appears to choose to delay and becoming actively involved in the situation. And it creates a crisis of faith in our lives. And not all crises of faith are created equal. There's a certain kind of person who the crisis of faith that they face is they face a situation in their life and they doubt God's ability to handle that situation or to change that situation. They have a crisis of faith because they lack faith. But there's another kind of situation, another crisis of faith that we encounter in our life with the Lord precisely because we have faith. We have a history with God. We know something of his power. And we know what that he could take and address the situation in our life instantly and effortlessly and resolve it for us. And then he doesn't do that. And so our problem is not that we doubt God's ability. Our problem is with what we know he can do and easily and readily do, and yet he isn't doing in our life. You ever had the Lord keep you waiting? You ever felt like God was taking longer than necessary to deliver on a promise from his word to you? Has God ever kept you waiting while in a situation until the situation deteriorates from hard to crushing to ultimately impossible? And perhaps there's a number of us here tonight. I hope there are. I hope my heart has been directed by the Spirit to this passage. A number of us here this evening that are in just such a circumstance in our lives. And I think that if you're not in that kind of a situation tonight, or maybe you've never experienced that in your Christian life, then listen carefully this evening because that kind of a situation will come to all of us as Christians sooner or later. In situations where God's delays are very, very confusing to us, and this passage has been very, very helpful to me, and it has brought very needed perspective to me in my life over the years and those kind of times, and my hope is that it will bring perspective to some of us tonight. And the title of this Bible study is When Love Delays. The Gospel of John is built around um, seven great miracles that were performed by the Lord during his three and a half years of public ministry. And the collection of the miracles are brought together by the Holy Spirit for the purpose that anyone reading of this account of Jesus in the gospel according to John and reading of those gospels, of those miracles, if they have an open heart toward God and are a true seeker, that it would bring them to faith in Christ. And in John chapter 11, we have the record of the seventh and the final miracle that's recorded in the book, this miracle of Jesus raising this man named Lazarus from the dead. The narrative is fairly simple. We're told in verse 1 that there was a certain man who was sick. We're told in that same verse that his name was Lazarus. In that same verse, we're told that he was from the town of Bethany, just about two miles outside of Jerusalem. We're told in that same verse that he had two sisters who lived in the same town. 
one named Mary and one named Martha. In verse 3, we're further told that Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that their brother Lazarus was sick. They are in the city of Bethany. Jesus is about 20 miles away in a city called Bethabara. The sickness that their brother is experiencing is obviously serious in that they send messengers to Jesus 20 miles away in order to appraise him uh, of the situation. So Lazarus is encountering something in their mind that's more um, difficult and more serious than the flu or the cold or something like that. Whatever Lazarus had going on in his body, it concerned his sisters very, very deeply. The word that's used for sick in verse 3, it means seriously sick. It means debilitatingly sick. And so Lazarus's physical condition is deteriorating rapidly. He's moving very, very quickly from bad uh, to worse until ultimately they found themselves in a situation that could only be described as impossible, humanly speaking. And so they found themselves completely powerless in the face of their brother's need. And so very wisely what they did is they then sent a message to Jesus. They turned to him for help. I think it's very, very important to notice, especially in kind of the modern climate of things and uh, Christianity in the United States and really around the world today, to notice that though Lazarus was very sick and indeed about to die, that his sickness did not cause Mary or Martha to doubt Jesus' love uh, for their brother. And here we have a, a family that is deeply loved by Jesus, but they're not immune from the consequences of the fall. They're not immune from sickness. They're not immune from difficulty. They're not immune even from uh, death. And it's interesting to see in verse 3 both the love of Jesus for a person and the existence of sickness in a person's life spoken of in the same verse. Some people contend that that's impossible, but it's right there in the verse. He whom you love they said in the message, is sick. That isn't mutually exclusive. Lazarus became sick and he died. Though he was a lover of Jesus, though he was beloved by Jesus, though he was a friend of Jesus, we're told in verse 11, and the fact of the matter is that barring the rapture of the church, which I am greatly looking forward to, by the way, most of us will die of whatever we get sick of last. Nobody really dies of good health. It's also interesting to notice that Martha and Mary make no request of Jesus to come immediately to heal Lazarus. They simply informed him of the need. And the reason that they didn't explicitly ask him to come and immediate, immediately to Bethany and to heal their brother is not that they didn't want him to come, but they thought it was unnecessary. They just assumed that Jesus would immediately, upon hearing the news, drop everything and begin to make his way to Bethany. 
And the first words that are come out of each of their mouths when Jesus ultimately comes into the city of Bethany, it reveals it. And it's the same words that they speak to him. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's why we sent the message, so that you would get here in time before our brother died. Now, Jesus' response to this urgent message that was sent to him is very puzzling there in verses 4 and 5. And you have his verbal response in verse 4. He declared that death wouldn't have the final say. The sickness is not unto death. That death would not have the final say in Lazarus' situation. He wasn't saying that that Lazarus wasn't going to die but that he would not remain in that condition, speaking of the resurrection that only he knew he was going to perform on Lazarus at that moment in time. He further declared that God's, God would work Lazarus's sickness and together for good by using it to bring glory to God as an opportunity to bring glory to Jesus, and that the end of the whole situation and the trial would be glory to the Father and glory to Jesus himself. Now, notice in verse 6 his physical uh, response. He receives the news, and he stays two more days in Bethabara, where he is, and in receiving the news. And so he didn't do what we would have expected him to do, and that is to, again, just like Mary and Martha, we would expect them to drop everything and make a beeline for Bethany because, I mean, time is of the essence here. Instead, he delays two full days before he journeys there. And it's a very curious response. It can be a very unsettling response when we find ourselves in their, their place in life. Now, Jesus knows something that nobody else knows, not the disciples, not even the messengers that had brought the news uh, to him. And that is in the time that it had taken the messengers to journey the 20 miles from Bethany to Bethabara, that Lazarus has died. And we know that because when he finally does arrive in Bethany, we are told that Lazarus has been dead already for four days. And so it would have taken the messengers one day to get to him. He delays two days. It would have taken him and the disciples another day to then make the journey to Bethany for a total of four days. So it appears that Lazarus died almost immediately uh, after the sisters had dispatched the messengers. And then after two days, he proceeds to make his way to Bethany. And upon arriving, both Mary and Martha expressed their confusion to him, their disappointment at his delay in coming to them. And again, each of them had the identical response to Jesus and to his delay. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And they're not rebuking Jesus, but they are expressing regret They are expressing disappointment that he didn't arrive in time to heal their brother. And so they accuse him now of arriving too late to really be of any help in the situation. And they're polite and they're respectful, but they cannot hide their disappointment with Jesus. Lord, 
if you, Lord, if you. And perhaps there might be some of us here tonight where some circumstance in our life has moved from the category of dire and urgent into the category of hopeless and impossible. And you have prayed and you have pleaded and you have waited on God in that situation, but he seems to sit idle as one deadline after another passes, and now you can't hide your disappointment with him, your frustration with him. You can even be angry with him at a time like that. And that kind of trial is very, very confusing for us, very disheartening for us as Christians. Now, I think about what we can be prone to think about God at a time like that as we put ourselves in their place. We can begin to wonder or begin to doubt whether he knows about the seriousness of our situation, if he has any interest in our life at all. Another thing that we can begin to wonder and doubt about is we begin to doubt his wisdom in his dealings in our life. We can begin to doubt his love for us, whether he really does care for us. We read it in the Bible, but it doesn't seem like he's acting like one who cares for us. And we can even become frustrated and impatient with God at how he's handling the situation. I want to take at this point now just a few moments to learn what this passage teaches us as Christians about times when God seems to delay in answering our prayers and when God seems to be taking way too long to address a very urgent crisis that's going on in our lives. And number one, we need to realize that no matter what is happening, he knows all about our situation. He knows our situation better than we do. We think that that could be Hard for anyone to know it better than we do. He knows our situation better than we do. Better than any messengers that we're sending to him. Better than any, uh, better than all of the people who know us best and pray for us the most. His delays in our life never come out of some ignorance on his part. And we need to realize at such times that he knows stuff about us and our situation, stuff that we don't know, stuff that if we did know, we would view our situation and its solution completely differently than we do. I remember reading a man who wrote the following. I think you'll appreciate it. He wrote, God nothing does nor suffers to be done. But what thou wouldest thyself do, couldst thou see the end of all that he does as well as he. You read that again. It's a mouthful, isn't it? It's a mindful. <laughs> God nothing does, nor suffers to be done. But what thou wouldest thyself do, couldst thou see the end of all that he does as well as he. I have a wonderful friend. He's in heaven now. And he walked with the Lord for over 70 years. And he took an 
restated this the following way. He restated it like this. God answers all my prayers the same way I would answer them if I had his wisdom, power, and love. Let me say that again. God answers all my prayers the same way I would answer them if I had his wisdom, power, and love. And during those times when God's ways are very confusing to me, when they really stretch me and my understanding, I remind myself that all of my life he has only ever been gracious to me. I remind myself that he's always been wise. I remind myself that I've never known him to make a mistake in all of the years that I've known him, not one. And there have been times, many times in my life, yours as well, where things have looked very, very iffy at the moment. But given enough time, it's always proved him to be perfectly wise in his decision-making. The second thing that we learn from this passage for a season like this is that we must never allow God's delays to cause us to doubt God's love. Verse 5 speaks to us about that. And just as Jesus' delay did not mean that he did not love Martha or Mary or Lazarus, so too his delays in our life do not mean that he doesn't love us. And we can get so mixed up on this in a deep trial, and it's important for us to just stop and pull back and remember that the single great demonstration of God's love for us, and it's an unending demonstration, was the death of Jesus upon the cross. My circumstances are never, my circumstances as I understand them in my finiteness are never a proper understanding of God's love in a situation. The Bible says that God demonstrates his love toward us that when we were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Calvary is always the great expression of God's love for us. But there's another verse that I want you to see. I don't want to read it to you. I want you to see it with your own eyes. And if you just turn a few pages to the right in your Bible, to John chapter 17, that speaks about the love of God, and speaks about the love of God in terms that will make our heads spin. But we'll just keep it within the room here if your head spins around. John chapter 17, verse 23. And we know that Jesus is praying to the Father on the night before the cross here. And he said, And the glory which you gave me, I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and then here it is, and have loved them as you loved me. The Father loves us as he loves Jesus. 
I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't in the Bible. I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't spoken by so high an authority as Jesus himself. Number three, in situations like this, it's important to realize that God only delays in order to do something even better in our lives. And no matter how great we think our plan is for the way out of this situation, the solution to the situation, or how perfect we think our timing would be in terms of uh, God's dealing in our life concerning some circumstance in our life, if the Lord appears to disregard our plans and our timing, it's only because he's up to something better for us. And sometimes it can seem so hard to us to believe that any plan, even a plan of God, could be better than the one that we're pleading him for, better than the one that we've envisioned in our own mind. But I can honestly say that every time the Lord has disappointed some expectation of mine on the short term, that as time has gone by, the reason for the delay becomes clear, and I've always discovered that the delay was for my good and for my benefit. If I don't know anything about God in the 30-plus years that I've been walking with him, the one thing I do know is the providence of God. There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah that speaks of all of this, God waiting in order to do something better in our lives. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, I'll read it to you. Therefore, the Lord will wait. We don't like to wait. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And how many examples we have of this in the Bible. I think about Joseph given these great dreams by the Lord that he's going to become greater than his brother, that he's going to become the greater than even his parents these tremendous dreams that had been given to him by the Lord. And though he would have to wait many years for God to fulfill those promises to him, when God did, I'll guarantee you, it exceeded every dream and expectation that Joseph could have had concerning God. But those promises looked like nothing for years. I think about David. When he's anointed as a teenager, nothing, no older than that, to become the next king of Israel. But God would delay the fulfillment of it because David didn't lack the character yet as a teenager to become, to be successful and properly representing God in that position. And so God worked in his life. And when he ultimately became king, God had to have exceeded every dream and expectation that David could have ever had related to the promise of God given to him related to his life as he becomes the greatest king in the history of Israel. And when God delays, when God delays, it is only because he plans to outdo our best. 
Let me read him a familiar passage to you, again from the book of Isaiah. God speaking through Isaiah. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's the curse of familiarity sometimes related to the Bible. As we get to know passages and they become so familiar with us through the years. But just maybe if you're in this kind of a trial tonight, you just close your eyes right where it is that you're seated. And we're going to ask the Lord to help you hear this like it's for the very first time. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's important to realize that God's timing in our lives is based upon a greater goal than we typically operate under. Most often, I tend to think the best thing that God should do in a difficult circumstance in my life is get me out of it the quickest way <laughs> that he can. I'm into self-preservation. <laughs> so whatever is easiest for me, that just so completely dominates my immediate and intermediate thinking. Even as a person who tries to be spiritual. But this passage teaches us that God works in our lives in such a way that he does so with the greater goal of God being glorified through our lives and through our circumstances. And oftentimes, in order for that to happen, it requires that a situation becomes harder before it becomes better. And sometimes it will require that a situation become humanly impossible before he will step in and then rescue us in it. And that's exactly what happens in John chapter 11. If Jesus had shown up and healed Lazarus when he was merely sick, then there would have always been that doubt in people's minds whether, well, he would have healed on his own or did, you know, Jesus really uh, uh, heal him or whether uh, he experienced the power of God in the healing. But when someone, with someone who has already been dead for four days, a circumstance that is just humanly impossible to impact, this allows the power of God to be seen. And great peace in these kind of circumstances is found in surrender to the will of God in the situation. To surrender to him in the situation and declare, Lord, my life is yours to do with as you please for your glory. That's what I want here. For your glory, do whatever brings you glory. And then to rest in that. God's will, nothing more. Nothing less, nothing else. But in that surrender, to always realize 
that God nothing does nor suffers to be done, but what thou wouldest thyself do, couldst thou see the end of all as well as he. God answers all of my prayers in the same way I would answer them if only I had his wisdom and his power and his love. Believe that tonight concerning your situation. God has no other agenda in our life as his children than to bless us. That's his heart toward us. And if he delays, it is only in order to do something better, and time will reveal it to be so. His loving delays are always for his glory and always for our good. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. And we pray that it would be a sweet, beautiful, healing balm and gift from you personally to those for whom it is intended and the impossibility, humanly speaking, the difficulty of the trials that they find themselves in tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you care. Thank you for the ways that you speak to us. Thank you for being the kind of God that you are, a God that we can rest in. We give you praise, Lord. We give you thanks for the privilege of being the sheep of your pasture. And we thank you, Lord, for that privilege. In the name of the one who made it possible, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Damian Kyle. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Damian's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.